1: Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central. On Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO.
0: Happy Wednesday evening, Hawkeye fans. Welcome into the latest edition of the Hawk Central Radio Show. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. I write about the Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm a columnist and uh, still writing live Iowa basketball stories. That's because the Iowa women are in the final four there are only six games left in the ncaa division one season three on the men's side three on the women's and then the hawkeyes will be playing in at least one of them lisa bluter caitlin clark and company are in dallas preparing for the final four i will be on the ground there later tonight dargan southard is already there and watch caitlin receive the Naismith award as college basketball's best player of the year uh, great honor for her earlier today uh, our hawk central colleague kennington smith has been writing up plenty of viable women's stories from our home base of Iowa City as well. Kennington, we will dig into spring football updates and the Iowa Men's Transfer Portal discussion later in the program, but obviously, my friend, uh, the Iowa women completely on the front burner right now. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to you as I've been um, you know, with, with Dargan on the podcast uh, of late, but uh, curious to hear what stands out to you about Iowa making its first Final Four since 1993.
1: Yeah, I think it's just the different ways that they've been able to win games. We've seen them have blowout wins like in the first round. We've seen them battle some adversity like the the Georgia game, the Colorado game against tough physical opponents. And then the Elite Eight was just kind of like the exclamation point on what's been a great tournament run against an elite team. I mean, Louisville has been to five straight Elite Eights. They went to the Final Four last year. So by no means was that a gimme type of game, and it was a game – where Iowa needed to rise to the occasion and play to an elite level. And they did that, obviously led by Caitlin Clark, who you mentioned is the player of the year and is much deserved. And kind of her meteoric rise to stardom on a, on a more national level has also been notable. But I think it's just the way that the team has performed throughout. Um, it hasn't been an easy road. It hasn't been a smooth road. But they've risen to the occasion every time. And it's coming to a head um, against South Carolina on Friday.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was really fun to be in Seattle. Uh, what's you know, tons of things stood out to me, obviously in that run. But uh, obviously, you can't ignore the Caitlin Clark stuff. We'll get to her in a minute. But uh, just uh, it's just a, such a fun team to follow, and that's why fans poured into that arena. Uh, it's just a team that expresses so much joy for one another. Expresses. Uh, You know, love for one another, and it's just fun to see them playing for one another, and that includes Caitlin Clark, the superstar. I mean, she uh, every time she's interviewed, she's talking about you know how she's playing with her best friends, and and uh, that's a really cool development of her leadership. Something I'm writing about a little bit more for later in the week, but it's just a really enjoyable team to watch. There are just so many great stories. I mean, you think about uh, the adversity from last year, losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament, and they used that. Um to to get all the way back uh, to where they wanted to go and 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 f- fulfill Caitlin's promise of of getting to the Final Four when she committed to Iowa from Dowling and it's just so crazy that you know that we have a West Des Moines kid um, with the basketball now from the game uh, you know just a few you know miles from where I'm sitting right now in the KXNO studios you know that's uh it's really cool that a, a local kid. That, you know, has hit it such, such the big time, and, and taken Iowa to the Final Four for the first time in 30 years. You're happy for Jan Jensen, Lisa Bluter, uh, coaching coaching staff as well. But Kennington, you've been writing a lot about Caitlin Clark from afar. What's kind of the craziest thing that you realized about her this week, or or uncovered about her as you were writing it?
1: Yeah, uh, I would probably point to the, the 15 stats article that kind of put her greatness into perspective and. Everybody's focused on the triple doubles, rightfully so, and how many, you know, leading the, the nation in, in points and having the first season of 900 points and 300 assists. But then you think about the longevity of her excellence with the longest streak of, of double-digit scoring games. I believe it's at 88 or 89 now. Longest streak of 25 combined points, rebounds, assists, which is near 90 as well It's in the upper 80s. Um, nobody else is within 20 games of, of that you think about how many times she's had 25.5 rebounds, five assists, she leads the nation, and, and those amount of games. I believe she's at 19 of those. So those are probably the, the top three. I mean, I could be talking for this segment, the next, and the third <laughs> one, for how many, um, for how many great stats that she's, that she's kind of put up. But it's, it's different when you do the research and you're writing it out and then you go back and you reread it like, wow, she's really doing all of this. Um, and she's only a junior, so there's an opportunity for her to continue to build on this into her senior year. So it's just been an incredible run for, for her. And like you said, really fun um, person to cover. I've had a lot of people reach out to me from back home and ask me, you know, what type of person is, is Caitlin Clark? Like, is she an arrogant type of person or, you know, is she mean? And I'll tell her, like, no, like she's incredibly humble. Like you said, always giving credit to her teammates, um, which is kind of like, um in a way a different type of energy than she exudes on the court very fiery personality but off the court um to your point very humble laid back um just a great person to, to be around so really excited for for her to be able to kind of get this opportunity to showcase herself on a national level
0: yeah she's uh, fun charismatic she's herself in uh media interviews uh, genuine uh, you know th- I have done some interviews for a story this week that I'm working on about her and um you know just again i mean you hear this everywhere but it's just you every time you talk to somebody it's like she's like the absolute most genuine person you would meet yeah she's like insanely competitive and like when i'm talking i'm talking like jordan level <laughs> competitiveness like uh and that's some of the stuff i'll kind of outline in my story later in the week but um, but yeah uh it's it's uh it's cool to see her persona just uh in the joy that she plays with uh, kind of come out on this stage and you know she was on first take yesterday for a while i mean uh you know monica sanano after the game was like yeah she, you know like my best friend is like a celebrity it's kind of crazy <laughs> you know so like, and uh, her de- the demands that she has too is is really impressive what how she juggles it all you know i'm sure espn is demanding of her, her time this week obviously the awards people are demanding of her time this week uh she's probably going to win ap player of the year tomorrow we'll find out um, about that uh, you know in Dallas but uh, she's got to t- t- take this all in and she's got a, g- a good head on her shoulders I think is what we're talking about um, okay uh Kennington, let's talk about the supporting cast a little bit because, uh, you know, it's easy to forget Monica Sanano is like a 2000 point scorer as well and number three in school history. Uh, you know, she had uh, she had to play a little bit more of a limited game against Louisville, but uh, everyone seems to be just stepping up at this time and playing their best. What stands out to you uh, in the supporting cast thus far in this run?
1: Yeah, I just think is how well rounded the team has become. It felt like going into this season it was, you know Caitlin Clark's gonna play well, you know Sonano is gonna play well, but who else is going to kind of rise to right. the occasion? And at this point now, it's a, a very well rounded, complete team. And that's the thing about Caitlin Clark giving credit to our teammates, it's not just, you know, players speak, it's legitimately you know, everybody around her is stepping up and rising to the occasion. Gabby Marshall is red hot from, from three-point range. She's knocking down her shots. McKenna Warnock's been fantastic in the tournament, rebounding the ball, scoring. She was great against Louisville, to your point. Sonano always going to be a, a high-percentage shooter, um, and, and she's battling down there in the post as well, oftentimes as the only person. So everybody is kind of throwing something into the pot, and that's what you need in order to get to this point. And that was the, the biggest question mark coming into the year was, was it going to be kind of an all-hands in effort when the team needed it the most to kind of get to this point where they can beat elite teams and reach the Final Four? And it took a little bit of time. Obviously, you know, you wrote about Gabby Marsh and her shooting struggles and how she's come on. So, again, it hasn't been a thing where I was just been hitting on all cylinders, every single person. Up until this point, they kind of rounded into form at the right time and they're playing their, their best in the postseason, which is exactly what you want from your team. So that's, that's kind of what's sticking out to me. And I think it kind of goes again to the veteranness of the team, the chemistry that they have as much time as they play together, the belief that they have in, in each other. Um, it really is playing out on the court.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Warnock has 17 points in that Louisville game. Uh, Kate Martin, give her a shout out. She had 16 against Colorado and played fantastic. I call her big game Kate. I'm kind of hoping that sticks. Um, She's kind of the glue of the team, the Connor McCaffrey of the team who can also (laughs) kind of score too. if you're if you're a men's follower. Um, She's uh, she's just outstanding and she's kind of got the same intensity of, of Caitlin Clark as well. So they're a nice pairing on the court. Uh, as you know, so Caitlin's not the only one out there that's like insanely fiery. And uh, as we mentioned on a different podcast, you know, Martin's kind of the muscle out there if, if Caitlin gets in trouble. So she's got her back. <laughs> and Gabby Marshall, 23 of 46 from downtown. You mentioned her this postseason. So 50% from three during the postseason. That counts the Big Ten tournament. All right. Um, Dargan and I talked a lot about the details from from the 97 83 win against Louisville in our post game podcast. But let's kind of get into the popularity of, of women's basketball right now and, and what Caitlin is doing and what this Hawkeye team is doing. Uh, 2.5 million viewers for that uh, Louisville game. That is an Elite Eight record uh, on ESPN. And uh, last year's. Uh, NCAA title game, Kennington uh, between uh, Louisville. Or, I'm sorry, uh, South Carolina and UConn had 4.85 million viewers. That was the most for an ESPN game, men or women, since 2008. So that just kind of shows it's not just Iowa. Uh, does Iowa South Carolina top that 4.85 million?
1: Yeah, I think it's getting into the five millions. This is going to be one of the most viewed women's college basketball games of all time, and. I have a, a unique perspective on on this matter because again, i'm coming from the South, and I think that with uh, obviously us in the media, but people in the Midwest and big Ten country it's, it's they forget that like people are still learning who Caitlin Clark is, and that might sound crazy because she is a mega star, but there were people legitimately watching her for the first time against Louisville. I had friends, family people calling my phone like. Who is this this girl Caitlyn Clark? Like is this who you've been, been telling me about this the first time I'm watching her play? I've had people sending me clips on Instagram and Twitter, like of the highlights of the Louisville game that they didn't watch and they say, Oh yeah, we're definitely gonna watch the, the South Carolina game. So to to your point about growing the the game, I think that at times there is an unfair negative stigma about the excitement of women's basketball and the style of play that Caitlin is bringing to the game is something that we just haven't seen before. And people are interested in it. They want to watch it. um, They want to see what what she's all about. So I think in um, some ways it's kind of ironic because she is the player of the year. Like that Louisville was like a a national coming out party for her. And I think that everybody wants to, to tune in on friday night
0: and see what happens when they play south carolina yeah it was a, a friend of mine and i were talking and he was like is this the first year and maybe it's not the first but when was the last time there were more uh, you could list off off the top of your head a casual fan could list off the top of their head more women's players in the final four than men's and i bet I mean, I can't, I don't know if, <laughs> you know, obviously I can name you know 20 cause I cover the hot guys, but, but I just, you know, between, you know, I Boston, uh, Caitlin Clark, uh you know elizabeth kitley of virginia tech i mean she's kind of a household name two-time acc player of the year angel reese of lsu uh zia cook i can't remember if i mentioned her or not but like uh, you know and then plus you know monica said and whatnot but uh you know between clark and boston alone that's two of the most recognizable names in women's basketball right now right and i certainly can't name one in the men's final four you know off the top of my head you know maybe I could, but like a casual fan, you know, maybe you can't. So uh, really, really fun to to talk about and think about. Um, I don't know. Uh, just kind of my one little uh, piece of perspective there. Uh, South Carolina, Kennington, uh, has not lost a game since March 6, 2022. This is a team that's won 42 games in a row, uh, Boston, Cook, uh, and then they start three seniors around them. It's basically like they got everyone back from last year's title team. So far, their NCAA tournament margins of victory are 32, 31, 16, and 11 in uh, the Elite Eight against Maryland. Iowa is an 11.5-point underdog. Uh, What do you think about this matchup? How can the Gamecocks be solved? Oh, did we lose you, buddy?
1: Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's gonna take <laughs> there you it's go. gonna take yeah, it's gonna take a really good shooting night from Iowa to to solve South Carolina. The the thing that sticks out about South Carolina, obviously athleticism is one, but just the pure size of the team. Aliyah Boston, obviously, Camilla Cardoso listed at six foot seven, Leticia Mira, six foot four, all players within their their rotation, they rebound the ball at such a high clip you almost kind of go into the game expecting to be out rebounded by South Carolina because they play really good defense and they very rarely allow teams to have offensive rebounds so it's going to take um you know the Gabby Marshalls shooting the ball well Kate Martin shooting the ball well McKenna Warnock when she's open knocking down her three-pointers like she did against Louisville obviously Caitlin's going to have to play superb but it's going to be a, a game where you know Iowa guards and wings are really going to have to rise to the occasion and knock down perimeter shots to um, you know, not only cover the spread, but potentially upset South Carolina.
0: Yeah, there's so many aspects about this game, uh, Kennington. Uh, so, you know, South Carolina averages 20 more rebounds a game than <laughs> their opponents. They're out. The average is like 49 to 29. So, and then you look back at some of Iowa's, you know. NCAA tournament games thus far: the Georgia game, the Colorado game. You know, rebounds, especially uh, allowing offensive rebounds, was a major issue for the Hawkeyes. Uh, They won those games, of course, but if it was that bad against those teams, what's it going to be like against South Carolina? So, uh, you know, to me, one of the keys of the game for Iowa is to is for Caitlin Clark to hit the defensive boards. Um, You know, if she can be a factor on the boards, that's the one thing that kind of Iowa. Um, you know, can hang its hat on that it has a point guard that gets a lot of rebounds and can now. Of course, South Carolina knows that, and I'm sure they're going to try to prevent her from getting defensive boards. But if she can get the defensive board, and you know get Iowa, you know, if she gets the defensive board, that's the, that's a, a win-win for Iowa because then she's already got the ball to run the fast break. And so then Iowa can start running. Then, you know, then does South Carolina get a little bit more cautious about crashing the offensive boards? Uh, this is not a great outside shooting team. Uh, 31% from three this year, South Carolina. So, you know, does Iowa kind of uh, give them those shots? It's such a risky strategy, though, because you know South Carolina is going to get its share of offensive boards. Uh, so, uh, it's so hard to defend them. Uh, the here's the thing, Kennington that I, that I realized when I studied this team. They've gone to overtime two times this year, Stanford and Ole Miss. So what is the is the key in that game? Somehow South Carolina was out rebounded in both those games. They didn't lose the game, but they almost lost the game. I'm not saying Iowa can out rebound them, but I think they got to stay within. I don't know, eight. Is that a fair number? Uh, I mean, I, we're talking about winning the game here, so you got to do something special.
1: Yeah, I had I had ten in my mind. Yeah. you were when you were talking through that point. It has to be you know eight to ten um, in, in the rebounding category. And I think another thing to your point about how good South Carolina is and how quickly things can turn with how well they rebound the ball is going to be patience offensively. We know is a team that's going to want to run up and get up and down the court. They're going to want to put shots up and score a lot of points, but they have to be careful to not quick shoot the ball or maybe get frustrated if things aren't going their way early against South Carolina's defense. This is a team during their win streak, they've held every single team that they played under their season scoring average. So this is a historic level defense. They they know what they're they're doing, and they know how to frustrate offenses and get them out of their game. So, It it bodes well for Iowa because they are a veteran team, but I don't think it can be understated how much they have to keep their composure throughout Mm -hmm. the ebbs and flow of the game to to stay uh, competitive and, again, have a chance to upset them.
0: Yeah, one thing, um, uh, I was listening to Andrew Downs' opposition research podcast at Hawkeye Nation, and uh, uh, one thing that the reporter he had on talked about is South Carolina has has had a few slow starts this year. Uh, Now, he he did say that uh, he thinks motivation will be really high, but that's just the type of thing to I always got to get out to a hot start. They got to just get out and jump on them and just be ready for South Carolina to come back and take the lead at some point. It's good, but you got to you got to have a fast start in this game. You can't have an 8-0 hole like you did against Louisville. Uh that would be a bad recipe uh for victory. Kennington, I've thought about this one a lot. I want to throw it to you first. I've got some numbers in my head. But what is the realistic stat line for Caitlin Clark? that unlocks a victory for the Hawkins it has to be realistic like you can't say like 50 20 and 20 you know what I mean like make it realistic what does she have to do in this game for Iowa to win
1: yeah I'm going to keep it fairly simple um I did uh, another shameless plug on the stories that I've done on Caitlin Clark. I did a triple-double piece on her that um, came out today on Hawk Central, kind of documenting all of her triple-doubles. And I was undefeated when she records a triple-double. I think that it's not enough for her to record a triple-double. It's going to have to be a 30-point triple-double. I think that she's going to put up enough shots to score 30. So I'm not saying that it has to be some super high-percentage scoring number, but I think 30 plus points and then obviously 10 plus rebounds, 10 plus assists is going to be enough to have Iowa within striking distance down the stretch. It's going to take a special game from her. Um, we've seen her do it multiple times in this postseason run, Ohio State as well as, as Louisville. And she's you know, come close to triple doubles in other games through this postseason as well. So that's the, the mark that I'm, that I'm setting for her um, in order for Iowa to, to have a chance to go to the national championship.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, she's going to have to get a good whistle. I mean, if they're if they're calling fouls while she's driving to the hoop, that's going to be a good thing for Iowa. If they don't, that's going to be a bad thing for Iowa. Uh, I think she's just gotten so so good at playing whatever the defense gives her. So if they're going to double team her constantly, she's going to have a ton of assists. If they're going to play one on one, they play man to man defense uh, predominantly. Um, you know, I think she's going to have a ton of points, you know, because she's uh, going to be matched one-on-one. I can't imagine they're going to, you know, just settle for one-on-one with her. But maybe they will. Maybe they can't. Maybe they will. I think the type of stat line uh, that I think it could go one or two ways, I guess, is what I'm saying. I think it could be like a 45.7 assist type game. Like, and I'm not not saying that's unrealistic at all. Um, She could score 45. We've seen her do it before in big games. Uh, or is it more of a twenty points, fifteen assists type of game where they're just going to, you, know, you know, swarm her every time she is out on the perimeter and tries to drive, and she's going to have to kick out and rely on Marshall and Warnock. But I think the perfect stat line is something like thirty-five points, twelve assists. <laughs> it's crazy to like say that's yeah, just a ho hum game for her. But uh, I think that's kind of in the range that it's going to take. Uh, you know, maybe like. 60 points created and Iowa wins a game, you know, in the mid 70s, you know, like 75-73, 78-76, 80-78, something like that. So fun to talk about. Uh Kennington another question here. Are the Hawks playing with house money here?
1: I think that they are. I think that they're coming into this game where I'm not going to say that there's not pressure on them because obviously they were a preseason top 5 team. They had their sets on the final four. That was the expectation they gotten here, but they are against um, a powerhouse. I mean, maybe even considered a, a blue blood in the sport in-, in South Carolina team that's expected to roll their way to an undefeated national championship. So I think the fact that Iowa has accomplished their, their big goal, which was reaching the, the Final Four, I think this is a game where they're going to come in and, and be able to play a lot freer and know that they really don't have anything to lose. So I do see a house money aspect, but in a way I'm kind of like keeping the the big underdog thing at arm's length just because like there wasn't a huge expectation for this team to make it to – this point. Um, they are double-digit underdogs, so I do think they're going to play uh, free or so. I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here, but final answer, yes, they are playing with house money.
0: Yeah, I would say no matter what happens here this season has been a, a rousing success. I mean, getting to the Final Four, you know, just, just covering it, you just realize it's so difficult to do. You have to have breaks. You have to play well for four games. Iowa got a few breaks in the bracket. They shot the ball really well. Uh, they, you know, they got good whistles, I feel like. I mean, I feel like the officiating you know, didn't go against Iowa like it did against Creighton last year. And so things have, have fallen together for this team nicely. They've earned every bit of it, of course. Uh, so definitely a success. I feel like, Kennington, curious your take. I feel like getting blown out against South Carolina, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but I feel like that would take a little bit away um, just in the minds of maybe... People outside of Iowa, um, not that we yeah, care, but not that we care about that. I agree with that. But, so keep it. You know, I think if Iowa keeps it close and it's like a historically epic game, that would be. I don't think fans would like be excited about that, but I think it would be like, oh man, you know, we gave the best team in the country, you know, the best shot and fell short. That would be. I think they could live with that. I think everybody could live with that, right?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think kind of going back to my point earlier about the amount of. Casual fans, non women's basketball watchers who are going to be tuned into this game. I think that's kind of you know what you're referring to, like that market of people where a blowout would be a disappointing game because there are going to be so many people off of the heels of the Louisville game that are going to tune in, expecting to to see um, you know Caitlin Clark do great things against South Carolina, Iowa to play competitively uh, against them. So. I think that, you know, to your point, that is correct, but within kind of the the Big Ten bubble, obviously within the Iowa fan base, um, regardless of the outcome, this has been, you know, one of the great seasons in school history.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. I want to finish uh, this segment with a story. Uh, let's talk about uh, my junior year in high school. was 1991. Uh, the men's Final Four. There was a juggernaut team. UNLV had won 45 straight games, undefeated, got into the national f- semifinals, and faced a really, really good team, Duke. <laughs> they had a really, really good coach, Coach K. Uh, a really, really good player, Christian Laettner, Laettner. But nobody gave Duke a chance to win that game. UN, UNLV was considered unstoppable. Uh, they had only had one game that year decided by single digits. Duke was a heavy, heavy underdog. But uh, lo and behold, Duke won that game, 79-77. That was on March 30th. 1991, 30, one, 32 years ago on Thursday, and then on top of that, they went on to beat Roy Williams led Kansas two later, two days later for the NCAA championship. And uh, by the way, that was the very first NCAA title of five for Coach Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. So sometimes when you're you're trying to break through that absolute to the top of the ladder in college basketball. It's going to require an upset like this. It's happened before. Uh, maybe there's uh, maybe there's a little motivation there for any uh, Iowa women's coaches or, or players that want to look back at that 1991 game. One of the most epic games in NCAA tournament history. Alright, coming up next, we will talk spring football. Kennington and I have not convened on Hawk Central since Kirk Ferentz's press conference last week. Later on, uh, we will also dig into Iowa men's basketball uh, as two Juniors depart the a senior and a junior depart the program. All that and more next here on Hawk Central one hundred six point three
1: KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station one hundred six point
0: three KXNO. Hawk Central Radio continues here on one hundred six point three KXNO. I am your host Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. I write about the Iowa Hawkeyes for a living. Uh, Great women's basketball discussion uh, in our first segment. Really long. in-depth preview of Iowa versus South Carolina. But now let's talk a little Hawkeye men's basketball as there was some major news or at least some news last week, Kennington that we haven't had a chance to discuss yet on this radio show as the Hawkeyes lose two players to the portal in senior point guard, senior to be point guard, Aaron Uless and junior center, Josh Agundale, Agundale's second (laughs) venture into the portal. I assume this one is uh, for good. Thoughts on those departures?
1: Yeah, I think starting with Josh, it was one that I think was universally expected. Somebody went to the portal a year ago um, and came back amid Iowa's inability to to secure some front court depth. And unfortunately for, for Josh, his, his year was derailed by um, an injury that kept him out for over a month. He um, actually played less this year than he did last year. I know that there were Expectations, you know, by the coaching staff for him to potentially take a leap and provide a little bit more front court depth. So, um, like you said, it does kind of feel like this is kind of like the final um, ending of that relationship. Aaron was a little bit more surprising just because he did have a major role on the team. He was a starter, um, but kind of as the the year went on, I guess it kind of of was one of those things where he was looking for um, a fresh start. So again, like two um, pieces leaving the the program, but there's a major opportunity for for Iowa to bring in some impact players with, with their departures to fill out next year's roster.
0: Yeah, just uh you know, you know they have those end of the year season meetings. I was uh don't know I don't have any inside knowledge on this. I just wonder if you know there was if it was communicated at all that maybe Aaron's role you know, may diminish next year with you know kind of the the rise of DeSante Bowen. You know, maybe maybe Fran, you know, has expressed that they're gonna go out and try to get a you know a point of more veteran point guard in the portal. Um, you know, you obviously have Brock Harding coming in, you got Tony Perkins that can handle the ball, you got Josh Dix that can handle the ball. So or maybe Ulysses just saw the writing on the wall. But obviously, I don't think Iowa is. Uh, I don't think these are g- going to be two losses that that people are going to fret about too much. Um, nothing against those guys whatsoever, obviously. But um, you know that those are positions where you know you know Gundale just didn't develop like he needed to for to be an impact player. And you know, to me, you know, Uless's lack of production at the end of the year kind of kind of wrote his you know uh, wrote him kind of out of the plans uh, for next year's. Team And uh, that opens up three scholarships total now, Kennington. We knew of the one, but now there's two. Um, you know, we're, we're counting Chris Murray out, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, you have to kind of keep in mind, Iowa does have uh, Cooper Koch, a top 100 player in the class of 2024, already committed. Um, so, you know, you can't just go out and get a bunch of freshmen necessarily. But um, portal, portal time, right? Uh, what uh, What's on the wish list for you, uh, if you got three spots now instead of one.
1: Yeah, first thing on the list, dynamic guard. Got to get somebody in there who can handle the ball, who's going to be able to score and facilitate, as we've known. And as has been said, March postseason play is about having elite guards. That's something that, that Iowa's been, been lacking. And part of the reason why they haven't advanced to that elusive sweet 16 I will have to go out and get a guard that can fit within the offense. It feels like a very, um, you know, point guard friendly office, office that you, you know, if you're a dynamic guard, you would want to play in up and down the court, free flowing you'll be able to get a lot of stats. So that's something that Iowa coaches can sell. So they have to go out and get a dynamic guard. In the last two spots, I would use on post players, players that you could put on your front line. That's where Iowa's attrition has really, really hurt them if you look at, at next year's team. Connor McCaffrey's gone, Chris Murray's gone, Philip robacha has gone, three frontline starters, um, guys who are who are consistent and very productive. So Iowa has to retool that part of their team with those final two spots.
0: Any uh, it's still early obviously, but any names that jump out to you that you've seen in the portal or seen interest in? I mean Iowa, you know, you it definitely has some interest in plenty of guys. Um, you know, a no matter of getting them in, obviously, we saw last year was not as easy th- as that. Um, you know, Iowa has a little bit more NIL infrastructure in place. You know, I don't know how high they can bid, but uh, anything uh, that you're eyeing, any particular players you're eyeing right now?
1: Yeah, I would say um, BJ Mack is probably the, the one that I would keep my eye on the most from Wofford, somebody that I was already completed an in home visit with, you know, 17 points six-rebound guy, you know, 6'8", 250, so he's kind of got that bigger frame. Somebody who can kind of fit in in Iowa's five-out, you know, scheme should, that's, you know, what they want to run next year, Um, but somebody can get up and down the floor, versatile player, um, can score from multiple levels, and he's got the big body, he's able to, to rebound the ball. So, that's somebody who um, you know, I would have my antennas up for the most right now. But like you said, still very early on in the process. The tournament's not even over yet. So, um, you know, you'll see on, on Twitter, social media, Iowa has put out a lot of feelers for a lot of different players. But it's going to take time for it to kind of whittle down to the key guys and, you know, try to get them on campus, do the in-home business, and ultimately try to secure a commitment.
0: What type of time frame do you feel like, uh, you know, this needs to be on?
1: Yeah, I would probably, I think, you know, going into, um, you know, going into the month of May, you'd probably want to have, you know, everything pretty much um, sold up in terms of, if not commitments, you know, Guys that have, you know, Iowa in their top two, top three, those those finalist schools, I think after the tournament is over, you're really going to kind of see everything pick up. You know, that's the, the beginning of April. So I think that April is going to be a really, really, really busy month. And going into May, there should be a a much clearer picture of what next year's team will look like.
0: Yeah, I think uh, obviously you got to get a five. got to get a five player in here. I mean, they don't really have one unless you, you know, other than, than Riley Mulvey at this point, right? Um, you know, you know, Ladji Dembele, you know what, I don't I think he's probably more of a 4. Um, he's a true freshman. So, you got to get some experienced size in there. You you know, the Rabracha loss is going to be bigger than people realize. I mean, he play, he consumed so many minutes last year and kind of played an you know, he played over his size. I mean, the Big 10, you got to have somebody you got to have some size in there. We've seen that against Rutgers, Michigan, Purdue, obviously, uh, you know, it's tough to win if you don't have size in the Big Ten, um, so very, very important there to kind of, You need. Uh, I feel like you need a guy that can run the floor, rim protector, uh, a guy that can rebound. Um, you know, one of the names that that came up. Um, you know that I was in on is Caden Shedrick of Virginia. Uh, that would be a perfect fit in my opinion. Um, you know, didn't have huge stats at Virginia, but uh, an athletic body that can get up and down the court. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be the the huge points per game score. We got to have somebody that can defend in there and he was a really good shot blocker, but you know, again, that's really probably not super realistic given all the schools that are interested in him, but you know, I think I feel like that's one that McCaffrey could could make a pretty solid sales pitch on um for this, you know, for next year. Uh anything else on the basketball discussion, Kennington?
1: Like I said on our last radio show, this is going to be one of the biggest off-seasons in France tenure. And just want to reemphasize that Iowa cannot afford to have the same shortcomings in the portal that they did last season. So like you said, I think the fact that the Swarm Collective is in place is going to be something that is a huge development for this transfer portal class. Iowa is going to have to to play ball, I think, in order to to get some guys into the fold. So I'm really just interested to see um, the the coaching staff's game plan and ultimately what happens when uh, it's all said and done.
0: All right, man. Thank you, Kennington Smith, for your basketball insight. Coming up next, we'll talk some spring football. Uh, It's been completely under the radar of late with the Iowa women's basketball success, but uh, it does need some discussion. Practices are underway. We'll dig into that next here on Hawk Central on 106.3 KXNO.
1: This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station, 106.3 KXNO.
0: Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. Chad Lysico here of the Des Moines Register. Let's finish up with some football talk with my colleague, Kennington Smith. Uh, he's been holding down the fort with me in Iowa City, uh, getting getting uh, some much-deserved time off this weekend. Uh, you've, you've really been um, doing a great job, my man, and uh, thankful for you. Uh, let's hit some injury stuff that, that came up in last week's press conference at, at the wide receiver position. Jacob Bostic with a foot injury out for the spring. Seth Anderson, talk about that. That's a big disappointment, uh, an unfortunate disappointment. Uh, soft tissue injury, Kirk Ferentz said last week. Uh, usually when he says soft tissue i've learned in kirk ferentz lexicon that usually means hamstring don't know that for sure but <laughs> that's usually soft tissue and then uh Brody brecht uh leaving the football program to focus on baseball so major major attrition at wide receiver kennington where does that leave this roster this spring
1: yeah um it leaves it in a in bit of flux like that's it's like Last year, it was the year of the defensive injuries, and this year it's the offensive injuries. And obviously, Iowa fans know very well that if there is any group on the team that doesn't need injuries, it is the offense. So you're down a lot of wide receivers. Kirk Ferris spoke to several injuries on the offensive line. He didn't really speak to them, but that is obviously very, very concerning. Um, Perhaps just as, if not more concerning than the attrition of injury at receiver and then obviously Kay McNamara kind of um, you know ties it all together with his injury recovery as well so really beat up offense not a very good omen to start spring practice um, but obviously a long way to go until the fall so that's kind of the um, initial vibe check right now not what fans want to hear in terms of you know health but luckily it doesn't seem like these are any type of injuries that's going to hold anybody out for you know, the fall, which would be really dire.
0: So uh, I read that, you know, I wasn't there, obviously, um, traveling to Seattle, but um, Farron said six to eight weeks before McNamara would be fully healthy, correct? Yes. Okay, so that – so he will not probably participate in spring, like he won't be in the spring game more than likely? Do we know that?
1: Yeah, um, he – He didn't say, but it doesn't seem um, likely. No.
0: Okay, so what? See, that's the thing. Like, you you get this uh, retooled offense, so to speak. Um, You know, pretty much Labus and Deacon Hill, right? Are the cornerbacks remaining? I mean, you you need McNamara in there. You don't have receivers. I just don't. That's very, very unfortunate. Obviously, you can't control it, Um, but you know, what can they get out of this spring offensively? Then,
1: yeah, I think. I think the the thing is just trying to figure out exactly how many receivers you'll need going into um, the transfer portal window is probably, I would say, the, the biggest um, thing to, to accomplish here. I think figuring out what's going on at running back as well, how much of a step forward can Caleb Johnson take. And I think also, you know, the the... Joe this Deacon Hill thing is interesting because there is an opportunity for both of them to get a lot more reps. And I think that there is a true competition to see who is the number two. So maybe that's something as well that that can be kind of sorted out a bit in this spring practice period. So those are probably like the biggest things. But obviously the huge, huge question marks, which are wide receiver and offensive line, is going to take a little bit of time, which I know is frustrating.
0: Yeah, at least Eric All is participating, right? I mean, that's a that's a victory. So Luke yes. Lachey, Eric All um, in spring practice. So that's a positive.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, the the big step that Luke Lachey can can take forward, Eric All. You know, those are going to be the the two prime you know two of the primary targets, pass catching wise. So I think you know for for both of them to be able to you know have that full time together, that two tight end set is also going to be something that's going to be um, you know both really well for Iowa's offense.
0: Also, in that press conference, Kirk Ferentz was asked about the lawsuit um, settlement. You know, the four point two million dollar settlement that went to the former players, um, and said that he basically said that he would have won in court, basically, and that's what uh, he thought after studying with folks. Obviously, the primary civil litigator for the state, Stan Thompson, did not agree with that sentiment and uh, went with. uh, And we kind of reported that and and voiced that on the you know in our articles and whatnot. Uh, but obviously, uh, Kirk Ferentz not going to back down publicly from that stance. Um, the other stuff he talked about, uh, Kennington, was the Brian Ferentz contract. It didn't sound like he said much there, though, right?
1: No. No, he didn't. He said that. that was pretty <laughs> what much, did he, he say? Like, what did he say? He was. He pretty much was like, well, that's between Gary and Brian, and we're focused on what we have and moving forward. So, you know, you can read the tea leaves. I, it didn't sound too um, – too excited about having those kind of stipulations placed on his son but you know there has to be some type of accountability in place and um, I think that it is kind of a good mentality to just kind of be focused on what's ahead and the task at hand for the offense because with the injuries and the expectations it is going to be a daunting one so um, you know their, their full focus is on that and um, you know pushing the offense forward
0: yeah i I wish i had been there um obviously it can't be everywhere but just uh (laughs) just again because i can't i don't i want to read the body language i want to get follow-up questions in there and and uh you know it's uh it's like why you know but also he hasn't spoken to the fact like why did you keep him as offensive coordinator right i mean we haven't gotten to that much either i mean in february it was sort of talked about a little bit but uh it's kind of interesting but yeah I, I don't expect him to talk about 25 points a game but uh I don't know like you could also lean into it a little bit too like yeah I think we'll score 25 this year we got a good you know we got I, I believe in him as offensive coordinator I think that could have gone a long way as well but
1: yeah yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think um, he's not really going to have a choice but to talk about it because I think that, you know, ourselves in the media, if we're not going to ask it directly about the 25, there's going to be roundabout ways to kind of get him to, to open up on that topic. So I do expect him to, to, to speak on that. But, um, you know, I would expect uh, a much more aggressive offensive approach, obviously, um, so Iowa can hit those marks.
0: I know you got to get going uh, on a flight here Kennington, uh, so just give us any uh, any final thoughts that maybe you and I haven't touched on here out of the Kirk Ferentz presser.
1: Um, I would probably say um, the amount of newcomers into the program is something that's really significant, the most that he's ever had coming in mid-year, um, assimilating those guys into the culture and kind of stepping out of his comfort zone a bit and welcoming not only guys who are coming from a high school ranks, but obviously from other schools, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see how the, the team has kind of built that chemistry, office, defense, special teams, um, and kind of, you know, the, team, the overall team dynamic going into the final spring practice and then into the summer and the fall. All
0: right, man. Appreciate you. Have a good time, and uh, we will connect next week. No, uh, no assistant coach interviews except for coordinators uh, this spring. You know, I guess they're scaling back some of those availabilities this spring that's some of our favorites usually but uh, i guess we'll be talking to a ton of players so we'll just have to get the inside scoop from them huh
1: yeah for sure well we had um we had a few explosive assistant pressers on zoom last year so maybe um on the heels <laughs> of those there was um it was like all right maybe we should kind of like scale back on on that a bit obviously we were all looking forward to talking to to uh, coach copeland with everything going on the receivers room this spring but um you know i guess we'll have to wait for a later time for that
0: all right, man, I will let you go, and uh, safe travels, and see you soon.
1: All right, for sure. Thank you.
0: You bet. Uh, that's Kennington Smith, uh, our trusty colleague at the Des Moines Register, uh, doing doing great work for us. Um, I, will, I just want to finish up with a little monologue, uh, a little bit of, of time left here to talk a little bit more Iowa women's basketball uh, in this South Carolina matchup. Also, kind of just some of the excitement around. I'm kind of curious to see – uh, what the crowd is like at American Airlines Center in Dallas on uh, Friday night? I think it's you know the, the tickets are so hard to get right now, so I'm I'm not sure what that means for Hawkeye fans. That's one thing we'll kind of report back to you and find out. Uh, the ticket prices. Uh, this was yesterday on StubHub. The lowest the get in price for the Women's Final Four was in the three hundred and twenty five dollar range, and I imagine. That's only going to go up. Uh, I, you know, it's uh, the demand certainly will be there from Hawkeye fans. I know that are a lot of Iowa fans are wanting to make the trip, are making the trip. Uh, that was something that uh, even I heard in my hotel lobby in Seattle. People like making plans to uh, hurry back to Iowa and then drive down to Dallas because it is only you know in that twelve-hour range uh, to make the drive. So we'll, we'll see. But uh, I would think a lot of South Carolina fans would be there as well, just because they probably knew they were going to be in the final four. And, um, you know, gobbled up some of those tickets. Uh, LSU, not too far away, and they were the first team to punch a ticket there. So uh, they've got a passionate fan base. So, um, you know, I don't expect a ton of Virginia Tech fans, but kind of curious to see the environment. Maybe there's just some, uh, you know, Caitlin Clark fans, too, that are going to show up and uh, cheer for the underdog. Uh, That'll be an interesting dynamic. Uh, Very also also curious to see, you know, what – you know what type of game Iowa has. What type of game plan Lisa Bluter brings to the table. You know, what do you do with Aaliyah Boston? You know you don't have really anybody that can, you know, contain her necessarily. Um, you know, Monica Sanano, you know, has a different, you know, a different style really than, than Aaliyah, and uh, you know she's six foot five and, and gets a ton of boards, and they have another six seven player as Kennington mentioned, six four player. Uh, that also can crash the board. So I think this has to be a big Hannah Stolke game. That's just – I've studied this. Uh, The rebound disparity is so vast. You've got to have somebody with some athleticism that can get boards, that's hungry to get boards. And, uh, you know, Hannah Stolke played zero minutes against Colorado because of that ankle injury. Only played 90 – I'm sorry, against uh, Georgia. Played 90 seconds against Colorado. Uh, after Bluter basically decided a coach's decision that she was, um, kind of getting pinned down by some of those Colorado posts. So, you know, does she, you know, do they go back to her, uh, in this South Carolina game? Because she's a really, really talented player and she, she's aggressive on the boards. I think she could, I think she could fight for those boards. And, you know, if she gets a couple fouls, so be it. Uh, and she's got some offensive skills as well, you know. Maybe South Carolina fouls her, makes her go to the line if you give her extended minutes. But you know, she's she had a few free throws uh, against Louisville, and and uh, you know, she's she's a more than capable player. She's also a player that you can use to get uh, into the fast break, into transition, especially if Kate, Caitlin can get some of those defensive boards. Uh, you know, have Hannah run the court. Have uh, you know make you know South Carolina is a very very deep team. But, you know, make them run the court, you know, and try to get back on defense uh, and defend Hannah Stolke running just the distance. Uh, Gabby Marshall getting out on the break for a three or McKenna Warnock. She's been really good about getting out on the break, too. And then, uh, you know, Kate Martin, I feel like is such an such an underappreciated. She's appreciated. I shouldn't say that. Iowa fans appreciate her. But she just does so much to impact the game. She probably gets forgotten, I guess I should say is a little bit more accurate. Uh and then, you know, let's let's give Monica Sanano some credit here. Uh d- you know, South Carolina will have to uh devote some resources to stopping her, and that is important to open up it uh open up things for other players. I think a, a key part of this game too could be Monica Sanano's passing. I mean, you know, if Caitlin can get her the ball on the post, you know, maybe she doesn't have an easy a time as easy a time scoring as she would, maybe in the Big Ten. You know, South Carolina's, you know, you know, has so much size in there, but can she kick it out and find a McKenna Warnock or find a Kate Martin or find a Gabby Marshall open on the perimeter? Um, you know, obviously Caitlin Clark as well. You know, get it back, kick out for three. I think that's where Iowa could really, you know, make some hay in this matchup and and give themselves a chance to win. Uh, there's going to have to be adjustments from from Lisa Bluter throughout defensively. You know, offensively. Uh, what you do. Um, really, really interesting coaching game. Do you go Sydney, you know, a Fulter, you know, to give her some more minutes? She looked pretty good against Louisville. Do you go big with Addie O'Grady? I mean, she gave you some good minutes against Colorado. So uh, she's somebody that has some size, some girth. So. Really, really fun matchup, and I will be there with Dargon Southern in Dallas uh, to bring it all to you. Uh, Eight thirty PM, one more time, Friday night, ESPN against South Carolina. Uh, Dargon Southern and I will be there for you as long as the Hawkeyes are there. We will get you a YouTube podcast after Thursday's media availability, so stay tuned for that on my social media feeds uh, or text group. And uh, have fun this weekend. Enjoy this. This is a rare opportunity, Hawkeye fans, and we will talk to you next Wednesday night here on Hawk Central.